that, ooh, yeah, that's me. So, hey, Gideon, can you turn me down just a little bit? All right, that's too much. Turn it up just a little bit more. No, I'm just messing with you. All right, we do have just a, a couple of announcements uh, today, and by a couple, I think I just mean one. So I really have stretched the word couple. Uh, the big announcement today is that uh, tonight is game night. So tonight uh, at 6 o'clock, we talked about doing it at the Splash Park, but it's going to be super hot today. Like, I didn't realize how hot it was going to be. Uh, so we'll just do it here at 6 o'clock. So tonight, 6 o'clock, uh, meet here. We'll have a normal game night uh, where we'll be freed if we want to go outside and play some four square and then run back in. Ralph still doesn't have our pickleball court set up. We're still waiting on that. Uh, you got it? Hey, coming in the future. Uh, so I, we're that's... Man, put that on your calendars. That's coming up, pickleball. I've heard so much about pickleball, I still have no idea what it is. But I've, I've heard good things about it. Uh, tonight, come. We'll play some Foursquare if the kids want to. We'll do some fun stuff, play games inside. Uh, but that'll happen this evening uh, here at the church. Um, I don't think we have any other announcements. Is there anything that I'm forgetting? Uh, now's your time to let me know. Uh, okay. All right, everyone be safe this week. It's going to be very hot. I did just see that. So if you're working outside, make sure to drink lots of water. Uh, like, what, is it every 15 minutes that you're supposed to drink water? I think so. As, as often as you can. Uh, okay, all right, Zachary, get us started. Good morning. From Daniel chapter 4. This, these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. How great are the signs of the Most High God. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Those are the words, the realization of Nebuchadnezzar, who is one of the most powerful and one of the most magnificent kings that the world has ever known. But even the mightiest and the richest king will bend the knee to the Lord, for every knee will bow. And so the question is, when will that be? Will it be in this life when repentance is still possible, like it was for Nebuchadnezzar? Or will it be after this life when judgment has been fixed? And so today, today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation. And for those who do repent and believe, today is a day of steadfast hope. So take heart, beloved, the dominion of the Most High God endures from generation to generation, and his kingdom is everlasting. No king, no kingdom, no matter how big, how powerful, how magnificent, no king or kingdom can thwart his purpose. No creature can shake his kingdom.
Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Praise him in glad adoration. Certainly every knee will bow before the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Please stand with me to hear these words from Isaiah 45 that call us to worship. Isaiah 45, 22. The Lord says through Isaiah the prophet, Turn to me. And be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Our Heavenly Father, our Savior and our King, we meet to praise your holy name this morning, and we are eager to hear your word, the words of our Lord to whom we bow our knees, the word that calls us to repentance, that teaches us the one in whom we must trust and the word that grows us in our faith. We desire for you to be glorified by these lives that you have purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, who has been given the name that is above every name. May our voices and our lives carry his pleasant aroma. Seraphim 
falling down before thee who wert and art and evermore shall be holy 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 though the darkness hide thee though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see only thou art holy there is none beside thee perfect in power and love and purity holy 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 lord god almighty all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea holy 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 merciful and mighty Sons, blessed Trinity. Let's read uh, together from Philippians 2. Philippians 2, I'll start in verse 6, and then uh, I'd ask for you to, to join with me when we get to verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though Jesus Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 110 together now. This is a, a kingly psalm, a, a messianic psalm that in, anticipates from David the marvelous work of Jesus Christ to be our great king-priest. Psalm 110, we know this tune again. This is uh, the tune of, This is my Father's World. Uh, this is Psalm 110 in full, and so let's sing it together now and praise the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is the fulfillment of, of David's hope and what David knew was, was coming. He has come. He is our priest. He is our king. He is our prophet. Let's sing to his praise this morning. Thank you. 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord from Zion sends your scepter in its strength. With mighty power show your rule among your enemies. Your people freely come throughout your day of power. From morning's dawn in holy robes, your youth are like the dew. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not change his mind. In the order of Melchizedek, you ever are a priest. The Lord at your right hand will shatter kings in wrath. Among the nations he will judge and fill them with their dead. Yes, he will smite and crush chief men in many lands. And from the wayside brook he'll drink and therefore lift his head. And those words, remember, were written by David, who lived long before, Mel, uh, before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was a, was a glimpse of how the Lord and his righteous might will bring down even the strongest king. Remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Had to eat grass like an ox for seven years as the Lord humiliated him and humbled him. And Nebuchadnezzar was brought to that, to those confessions uh, that the Lord God uh, has an everlasting kingdom, long, much longer than his, and his dominion endures forever. Let's sing uh, as we prepare our, our hearts to hear the Lord's word this morning, uh, sing another hymn of, uh, of kingship. This is hymn number 161 uh, in your hymnals. Crown him with many crowns. The Lord upon his throne, he is worthy of, of all crowns and indeed will have all crowns. King of kings, Lord of lords, truly. Let's give him our praise this morning. 161. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee. 
and hail him as thy matchless king throughout eternity. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of peace, whose power a scepter sways, from pole to pole that wars may cease and all be prayer and praise. His reign shall know no end, and round his pierced feet fair flowers of paradise extend their fragrance ever sweet. Crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands and side, those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. Amen, indeed. All hail our Redeemer, the one who has died for us. We bow before your majesty in humility, Lord, for yours is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever. Even though trouble and anguish find us out in this age, your commandments are our delight because your testimonies are righteous forever and they give us understanding so that we may live and persevere through this temporary trouble and anguish. And so we ask that you would please Open your word to our minds and our souls this morning and that you would teach us the way of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. a far kingdom ways from here beyond the storm and the sea there will be no need of darkness and none for tears when there Far kingdom I see There's a river 
ever clear and ever full from the fount that overflows in the light of the king and when we drink yeah we will find that this joy ever full ever rise and it all rise on in the kingdom in the kingdom there is a far kingdom on the other side of the glass and by it oh no it's back on all right got good news it still works i was like my clock's out so who knows how long we'll be here whoever drew me this thanks apparently just scary teeth and claws. Thank you for that. Making a pastor feel really welcome. Uh, all right. If you, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 6 as we're continue to walk through the, actually through the Lord's Prayer now. Uh, we've looked at the importance of the Lord's Prayer just, just as a model for prayer in, in general, a model that Jesus expects us. Uh, and our prayers to be built upon this foundation. So this is the model. We, we want to know not just the words, right? Because this isn't like we looked last time. It's not just a mantra. Uh, it's not just something that is just supposed to be wrote. There, there's meaning in these, in these words. And so we've been looking at the actual words of this prayer. The first word uh, being the word Father, that, that God is our, our Father. Uh, well, God is Father, but He's not just Father. He is our Father, and He's not even just our Father. He is our Father in heaven. And so we started to look at what does that mean? You know, I mean, who are we addressing even uh, if when we're praying? Who are we even talking to? How does God want us to think about Him when we pray? What does He, of all the things He could use to describe Himself, Oh, great, omnipotent, and sovereign master of the universe, right? It could have begun that way, and we'd be like, yeah, and some of us are like, that's how I started anyway. Uh, and then, but why, why start out, of all things, why does God tell us to begin our prayers with our Father in heaven? Uh, and so we've been walking through uh, what that what that means. Last week, we, we started looking at what does it mean that he's not just father, but that he's, he's our father. We looked at how that teaches us that God isn't just using the name father as a title, that there's a real relationship between you and God. This is your father. God has a relationship with you, a real relationship. He is, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has adopted us. We are genuinely his children. We are in God's family. He is your father. He is not just your God. He is your father. But the prayer doesn't begin, my father, does it? Uh, it begins, our father. So those words also teach us that, yes, you're a child of God, but you're not an only child. Uh, I know that it can be easy for us to think that, you know, you and I, or that you and God have some sort of special relationship and, and, and that the, the joy you share none other has ever known. Uh, it can be easy to think uh, that, but 
The truth is, Jesus doesn't tell us to pray my, my Father. He tells us to pray our Father, even like we saw last week, even when you're alone. Remember this setting in Matthew 6? He's just told them to go into their closets and get by themselves and shut the door so that no one can even hear it sort of prayer. Even then, you're all alone, you're by yourself. What are the first words out of your mouth? They're not just about you. They're about the body of Christ. It's about our Father. And so that even then, even alone, Jesus says our thoughts shouldn't just be on ourselves, uh, but on our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that, that's two things just wrapped up in the idea of our Father. So when we say our Father, those are two thoughts that should be planted firmly in our head. He's truly my Father, but He's not just my Father. He is our, our Father. But that's not all. That's not all. That's not all that the Bible stresses when we think about God as our Father. So let's read Matthew 6 again. Uh, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. And I know if you think, man, we keep reading the same passage. We just keep reading uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, my hope is that that's kind of working it into your head. Uh, and so as you read it, you are recognizing that, hey, I'm kind of knowing the words before I even see them on the screen. This is, this is long, slow form memorization, right? We read this enough. Eventually, you're, gonna, you're just going to know the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, Matthew writes, of course, under the inspiration of the Spirit. This is what Jesus said and what Jesus taught us. Pray then like this, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you today as your body, your children. We have gathered together in, in love incorruptible to rejoice in who you are, in what you have made us and who you are to us. And so, Father, help us to understand your word. Help us to understand this prayer that we're praying so that, so that even in this short, short prayer, it might be so rich, Father, that it can grasp every aspect of our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Bury us deep in this prayer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so again, we're just looking. We're just looking at this first phrase, uh, our Father, uh, and what that means for believers when they, when they say those words, our Father, He is your Father, our Father, He's not just your Father, and now we're going to see that the Bible adds to that. The, the words our Father are also our Father is a promise, okay? So the words our Father is a promise. When Jesus is telling the people here to say our Father, he's tying God to a promise, very similar to like the verse Zachary read this morning, a, a, a promise that the Bible continually reminds us of, that, that you and I are God's children, we are God's sons, and God will, he promises to treat us like ones. It, 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 might, it might seem ob obvious that when we say our father, that we're saying we're God's sons, but the Bible stresses this reality to Christians on multiple times. It reminds Christians, hey, 
you truly are sons. And if you truly are sons, then, then God has promised to treat you as his children. He's promised to take care of you so that when, when the Bible goes back and reminds us of our sonship, of our, the fact that we're in God's family, it always ties it to God keeping his promise that these aren't. In other words, reminding us that the words we say, our father, they're not just words. It is God teaching us to say these things because they are truth. They are truth. These, the, the Bible is constantly reminding Christians that God is your father, and that's important to remember. For example, John chapter 20, verse 17. And the Bible says, it, the Bible's going to take us to these times, and, and uh, times of great stress, times of whatever, and it's going to remind us, hey, remember, of all things you remember, remember God is your father. So, so John 20, verse 17, Jesus, think about what's going on in John 20. Jesus has just risen from the grave. He's seen by the women at the tomb. And, and what does he want them to tell the disciples? What does he want? Uh, what does he say? Hey, you go and you tell the disciples what? Look at what he says. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. No, notice, what, notice what Jesus focuses on. Again, the focus isn't just on himself, but on, but on them. I mean, this, this moment, you're out of the tomb. The women see you. The disciples freaking out, having run away, right? All the bad things. And what does he say? I want you to go and tell them the first words off your lips. I'm ascending to my father and your father think of the assurance that he's giving them in these words he's not just going to his father i'm ascending to the father if we said that we would that would be expected i'm ascending to my father but he throws on there the fact that it is also their father of all the things to want to relate to the disciples it is to remind them that what he said about God being their father. Things that the Jews wanted to kill him for saying, right? Of all the things that he said about God being their father, they were true. He was right. So Jesus, in this most climactic of moments, what do you remind the people of? He's your father. He's your father. He is your God. Yes, I'm ascending to, and to my God and your God. I'm ascending to my father and your father. This idea of God as father is found throughout uh, the, the New Testament. In fact, it's given a prime place uh, in Paul's letter. In, in, in 10 uh, of Paul's 13 letters, Paul begins the letters by referring to God as our father. Some of the first, in the greetings he gives to the churches, some of the first words, grace to you and peace from God our father. Again, 10 of the 13 letters. In the, other in the other three, he still refers to God as father. So it's not like he's, he's not father. In the other, even in the other three where he doesn't say our father, he reminds them that God is father. And that's true. That's true whether Paul's writing to a church or whether he's writing to an individual. He reminds them that God isn't just father, that he is our father. Why? Why would Paul do that? Why would Paul make sure that every church and every individual remembered 
that God was their father. The first words, grace and peace to you from God, our father. When we say our father, we need to remember that we're placing confidence in a promise of God. So when you say our father, it is an act of faith. It is an act of trust. It is an act of, of recognizing and saying, I believe you when you say you are my father. So no matter how undeserved, no matter how unworthy we might feel, no matter what we're going through or, 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 or might go through or have gone through, we need to remember that, that God is not just father, he is our father and he is your father. So when we say our father, there's a, there's a reminder of the promise of God to us. And in that promise, so it's not just a promise of, of, our, of our reality now, it's also a trust in the future. So when the Bible stresses God as our father, oftentimes what it will do for believers is stress to them, hey, no matter what's going on, you can know what your future is going to be. You can know the outcome is going to be good because God is your father and you are his children. So, for example, in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to start seeing a common theme in this, and God as our father is remembering that since he's our father, he's taking care of us now, but he'll take care of us then specifically around the idea of an inheritance, that an inheritance awaits us, that we are heirs. So Galatians 4, 6 through 7, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And what? And if a son, then an heir through God. So we were, we were slaves, it says, to the, to the elementary building blocks of this world. If you want to remember what that's about, go back and, and, and refresh yourselves on our, on our Peter sermons. We were slaves to the flesh. That's who we were. But now we're no longer sons, or we're no longer slaves, we're sons, and since we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that now we cry out to God, not as an enemy, but as a father. But what is he getting to? If we're sons, then what? That means we're heirs. We are heirs. That God has made us not just his sons, God has made us heirs of his kingdom. So when we pray our Father, we're rejoicing not just in God's present provision, we're rejoicing in God's future promises. We are seeing in those words, our Father, we're seeing that inheritance awaits us. And that, that can seem kind of selfish to say, right? I'm saying our Father because I know this is not though praying some sort of prodigal son prayer, right? Uh, our Father, and if you want to, you know, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking about the inheritance. It's not selfish to pray that because who is the one that reminds us of the inheritance? God does. God is the one who says, you're not slaves, you're sons. And if you're sons, then you're heirs. So when we, when we pray, when we're praying our Father, we're remembering, God, I know you're going to provide for me today, and I know no matter what today might provide, I know that you promise I'll, I'm an heir. I know that you promise an inheritance is coming. 
because I'm a son. So no matter what I go through today, that cannot touch my inheritance. It cannot touch what's coming. Nothing earthly that you and I might go through is going to touch one ounce of what awaits us because we are sons. If we are sons, then we are heirs. So when we say, our, so our father is words we can pray no matter what situation we're going through. No matter how great, no matter how tough, when we say our father, we know that the end for all of us is the same. We know that the inheritance is coming for all of us. It's, it's waiting for all of us as sons. So when we say our father no matter how dark your day sometimes the only thing you can pray in your darkest moments is father but the fact that you can pray father and it be true means that no matter what you're going through an inheritance awaits you and that promise is meant to encourage us as children you see, you see the same thing in hebrews 9 hebrews 9 uh, verse 15 therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So the, the only thing, so Hebrews, the only thing that awaited us uh, previously was, was death. That, that was our future. That, that, that was the promise of God that was coming our way. I promise you will get justice for the life that you've done. But since Jesus has died in our place, he says, now instead of death, what do we have? We have a different promise. We have a promised, he says, eternal inheritance. So when we say our father, again, we're not just anticipating God's current provision, but his eternal promise. We're, we're celebrating not just a present reality, but a future hope. I know that I have an eternal inheritance waiting for you, a promised eternal inheritance inheritance you can't get better than that it's been promised by god who cannot lie and it is eternal meaning it is not just going to happen for a moment and then be taken away like it seems like some of the good things in our life might be it is promised and it is eternal paul talks about this promise and ties it again to god as father in romans 8 15 through 17 it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's very similar to Galatians. The spirit himself, the spirit of the son, if you remember back in Galatians, uh, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So, so Romans 8, it's all about slavery to the flesh. It's all about slavery to sin, saying that we are now in Christ, no longer slaves to sin. Uh, that slavery to sin that led to a, a fear of our future and a fear of God. But instead, now we've been adopted. So instead of fear, we cry out to God. Instead of, you think of what happens when people are afraid of God, what do they do? Do they cry out to God? Think about it in Scripture. You get these stories of people who are afraid of God because of their sin. Do they cry out to God? No. What do they normally do? They hide, right? So think even back to the garden, right? They sin, and Adam's not like, God, I think I messed up. God, where are you? No, Adam's like, Foom, let me hide behind this tree. Maybe these leaves will help camouflage me. I mean, but that, so that's our normal reaction to God. But what is our reaction now as God's sons? Now we, instead of hiding from God, 
we can now cry out to God. We can cry out our Father. We can know that we are indeed His children. And we can know that, that we're not making up that arrangement. I mean, there, there are, because the Spirit teaches us these things. I mean, we, there, there are, I mean, there are a lot of people who think of God as their Father. But the Spirit in us is the one who testifies that we truly are children of God. So then there's a lot of people out there who are like, yeah, God's my Father. Sure. But how do you know? How do you know and I know that God is truly our Father? The Bible says that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that it is the presence of the Holy Spirit, that bearing fruit of the Holy Spirit that shows us that we are indeed children of God. And if we're children, then we are what? Heirs. We are God's heirs. And then this takes it even further than Galatians because he says we're not just heirs, we're fellow heirs with Christ. So when Jesus tells us to say, our Father we're being reminded of a promise of God. Jesus is giving us a, a hope, an assurance to start our prayers with, that an, that an inheritance awaits us because we are really God's children. We are truly a child of God, not just, and not just in name, but in outcome. So when you say, our Father, remember, you're speaking a word of promise. He is and he will be your father. An inheritance is coming. Our father promises. And so when we say our father, we are resting in a great promise of God. One that encompasses not just our present. He will care for you as a father, but encompasses our future as well. You will receive an inheritance as a son. So when you say our father, again, sometimes that can be the most that can be the most calming thing to say in the midst of a dark situation is to remember that no matter what you go through in this world, an inheritance awaits you. You are an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. You're not sure the Spirit himself testifies that these things are so. And so we then lift uh, on our mouths words we should, we should never be able to say and promises that we should never be able to have. We can say, Our Father. And we can know what that means for our today, and we can know what that means for our tomorrow. But that would be great if, if that's where it ended, but there's even more greatness to it. Our Father isn't just uh, about what God promises, saying our Father also puts an expectation on us. Meaning this, our Father, those words, they aren't just a promise. Our Father is a pledge. When we say our Father, that is a pledge. And it, it, when, when we say our Father, what we're doing is we are making a humble pledge that God is who we will follow. So when we say our Father, God isn't just giving us His name. We are taking up His name. We are willingly bearing it ourselves. And if God is truly our Father, the Bible says it will be evident not just from his side in how he treats us, it will be evident from our side. So that when we say our father, there is an expectation that that will be seen not just in how God treats us, but in how we treat him. 
For example, let's look at uh, just a few things that the Bible says, if God is truly our father, how it will affect our lives, how you'll see it, not just in those words, but in your life. The first thing is if God is your father, you will listen to him. You will listen to him. It is a, it is a pledge. So when you say our father, it is a pledge to treat him like a father and children listen to their parents. Children listen to their fathers and God's children will listen to him. Every child listens to their father. Uh, and if you're God's child, you'll listen to him. This is John chapter eight, verse 45 through 47. He says, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. So, so God's children, those who are of God, listen to God's words. And again, as we've seen with prayer, listening doesn't mean just taking it in, right? Uh, well, that's what I do. I'm here. I am listening to the words of God. Uh, that when God says he hears their prayers, it doesn't mean that they're, they're just getting to his quote unquote ears. To hear it is to do it, is to be moved to action by it. So if you're not listening to God, if you're not, not just hearing his words, but doing his word, you are showing you are not of God. Since Satan is the father of lies, John 8, 44, his children, so that's the context. Why are they not listening to, 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 to Jesus? The problem is Jesus is telling the truth and their father doesn't want them to listen to the truth. They're children of their father, so they like lies. So his children uh, will actually prefer lies to the truth. This is, I mean, Paul says this, Romans chapter one, right? They exchange the truth of God for a lie. So it's not shocking. God's children, however, are marked not by just a not just by a prayer that they've prayed, but by their practice. Listening to God's word shows you are his child. And now notice this. This is what we'll do. Notice there is no position of not listening to anybody. I Meaning it's you. You are listening to a father. You are listening to a father. It's, it's all a question of which one you're listening to. You, you're listening to your father. The question is just who your father is. If someone doesn't care for God's word, that just shows they're, not, they're probably not a child of God. Not probably, they're not a child of God. It's not softening up with the Bible. The Bible didn't put a probably there. I get the probably there. They're not a child of God. Because why? Why were these people not listening to Jesus? Because they were listening to their father. They were listening to John, John 8, 44, their father who's been a liar. So they've been listening to him. And so when Jesus comes and speaks the truth, they go, no, that's not of our father. So they don't listen to it. If you're a child of God, then you listen to his word. And again, listening isn't what makes you a child. Listening is just what a child will do. Not listening to God doesn't make you a bad child. It just shows that you've got a different father. It doesn't make you, if you're not listening to God, it doesn't show that you're a bad Christian. It shows that you're not one. Because his children listen to him. They listen to his voice. 
our Father is a pledge. When we say our Father, it is a pledge to listen to God as Father. But it's not just a, a pledge to listen. Our Father is also a pledge to imitate our Father. We know this, children imitate their fathers. It's just what happens. Children imitate their fathers. In fact, who our father is is seen not just in whom, to whom we listen, but it's also seen in whom we imitate. Any, anyone, anyone can say that, that God's their father, but, but true parentage is proven. When, when it comes to our earthly father, what do we say when it comes to earthly fathers, right? What's the old adage? Like father, what? like son, right? Like father, like son. And that's true for good or bad, right? They get into, like, if one of my kids hit a home run, everyone would go, well, like father, like son. Uh, so, <laughs> why is that so funny? Uh, but, it, and, if, and if a kid did something bad, we kind of we go, Ooh, you know, like father, like son. Uh, that would be normally when my kids are loud, right? They're like, well, like father, like every one of his children. Um, the same is true, the Bible says, in terms of who our spiritual father is. That's not just, the reason that's a true earthly adage is it's also a great, more greatly true as a, as a spiritual one. Who your father is is evident by your actions. The Bible tells us this, John 8, 44. Let's go back to that verse that I mentioned. He said, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. I mean, we... we we want to please our fathers. That's true, not just earthly, but our spiritual fathers. And so our will is to do his will. In this case, he says their father was the devil, so their will was to do whatever his desires were. If God then, the, the, the opposite is also true, if God then is our father, our will will be to do his desires. 1 John 3, 8 it tells us this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning so someone so think of first john how do you know you're really christian all this stuff someone who claims to be a christian but won't stop sinning is showing who their father is it doesn't matter what they claim doesn't matter how many our fathers they pray and have their own little like baptist rosary that they're going through saying all sorts of our fathers all day long who their father is is seen in their actions. In this case, the fact that they won't stop sinning shows that they are of the devil. Now again, notice this isn't, this isn't just about what you refuse to stop, but also what you refuse to start. Because what does James 4.17 tells us? James 4.17 tells us the one who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if, so if God is our father, not only will we not be living a life of sin, that sin includes the sin of not obeying, right? A Christian can't make a practice of the sin of not doing what God says. Anyone who makes a practice of sinning and what is sin, he who knows the good to do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. So a lot of times what we can do is we can look and say, as long as I'm not doing these things, I, I must not be of my father the devil. But the Bible comes and says, yeah, but the not doing what God says that's what's of the father of the devil. That's also a sinning. And so it's not just, oh, well, I, I'm going to keep my life clean. It's, it's about God's children. It's not just that they don't imitate the devil. It's that God's children imitate him.
So, for example, 1 John 3, 10. We see this idea carried out even more. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who doesn't love his brother. So again, what shows whether we're a child of God or a child of the devil? What we do, what we're doing, our actions are making it evident. And, and notice again, being a child of the devil here isn't, by this it is obvious, who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil? The children of the devil is those who go out and kill a bunch of people or people who have really filthy mouths or, you know, whatever. What does it say here? What is a child of, the, being of the, a child of the devil is doing something as sinister as being indifferent to the things of God. He who does not practice righteousness. It doesn't say he who practices unrighteousness is of the devil. It says he who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor he who, and it doesn't say he who hates his brother. It says, he who does not love his brother. John is intentionally putting the emphasis on, who are you imitating? And if you're not imitating God, then you're imitating your true father by not imitating God. A true child cannot keep on refusing to, to do the good that God has called them to do. I mean, be, being a child of the devil is as easy as simply ignoring the word of God. So, so the Bible is clear. If we refuse to stop doing evil or we refuse to start doing good, and look, guys, the biggest problem that you're going to run into if you're at a church is not that you keep on practicing evil. The greatest danger is what John and James worry about, which is that you go, I've quit practicing evil, but you're not imitating your father in doing the good. You're not imitating your father in taking up all the righteousness that he has laid out for you to do and live as his children, to walk as the Christ that you have faith in and the one who has given you the spirit so that you're able to do those things. In fact, the spirit that will cause you to do those things, Ezekiel 36 tells us. If you're not walking in those things, if you're not being careful to obey them, then you must not have the spirit. You must not be as the spirit of the son, which means you must not be a child because a child obeys their father. Obedience is the Christian's paternity test. Our actions will prove our ancestry. So when we say our father, we're saying that, that God is our father, but we're also saying, and I'm his child. And that holds not just a promise, but again, a, a pledge. If God is truly our Father, we'll show it by our lives. So then the question becomes, well, what sort of, if, if actions prove ancestry, if, if obedience is this paternity test, what sort of actions are going to show that God is my Father? So if we're going to call on God as Father, then God is the one we have to imitate. The Bible expects if you're my children, you will act like me. You will look like me. The Bible expects this. God tells us 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, right? And if you call on him as Father, right? If you say, our Father, if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear 
throughout the time of your exile. If you're calling God Father, then there's an expected conduct of your life toward him. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So when we say our Father, we are taking on his name and we are pledging not just to take on his name, but also to take on his character. And the Bible expects that. If you're going to call me Father, the one who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, then that should be seen in your life. If you're going to be obedient children, then what do you do? You be imitators of God. Well, what does that look like? And there are a few things in Scripture where the Bible specifically reference. Of course, what we could say is, what does that look like? Do all of the Bible. Right? And we could just start walking. Well, let's begin in Genesis 1, and we'll show what it looks like. But there are, there are passages in Scripture where the Bible specifically references what we will do because God is our Father. And so I limited myself to those. Otherwise, we'd be in the Our Father part for a really long time. So when we say Our Father, what sort of actions are we pledging will be present in our lives? What sort of conduct? What sort of imitation? What specific examples does the Bible give of actions that believers will take precisely because they are God's children? And the first thing we'll see is that if you are God's, one of the actions that you, will, you, that you will see in your life that will prove that is you will stop living like your old family and start living like your new one. You will quit living like your old father. You'll, and you'll start living like your new one. We see this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. We read this first one, and then we cut it off because I knew we were going to get here. Uh, in verse 14, he says, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. So because we are obedient children, what do we do? We leave behind our old lives, our, our, the, the passions of our former ignorance. You leave those things behind. You aren't conformed to those things. You aren't imitating those things. Who instead are you imitating? Your father. If you are calling God father, as is, which is what it's going to say in the very next verse, in verse 17. If you are calling him father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, this is what you should be doing. Imitating him, which means what? Which means what? Leaving behind that old life, pursuing to be like him. So you move away from the old life. That's what we do. We move away from that old one and we start living like God's family. We start living like our father. We imitate a different father and what does that look like well again we'll finish that just verse 16 here what's the first thing that we can look at well we're not conforming ourselves to our former ignorance but instead we're imitating god what does that imitation of god look like first thing holiness holiness as he says so as obedient children don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but instead what but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we leave behind ignorance. So what do we pursue? We pursue to be like our new 
Father. In this case, that means holiness. We pursue holiness. We make sure we are separated from sin, set apart for God, separated from this world. So if our God is holy, 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 then it would be shocking for his children to not just be holy. If God is thrice holy, the idea that you think you can be a child of his and not be holy at all, if God is your father, then you will leave the former ignorance and conforming to that, and you will pursue holiness as a child of God through the child of God. So what does a Christian life look like that is, that is uh, imitating the father? It is a life of holiness setting ourselves apart from this fallen world and its ignorance, the things that the Bible tells us we were once slaves to, not being conformed to those things anymore, but instead, when, so when we say our Father, there's expected to be a resemblance in those words. You've seen someone and said, that's my Father, and, and you're like, well, they, they, you didn't even have to tell me that's your Father. Like, I can see it. I can see it in your face. That's what should happen in the Christian life. When the Christian says, our father, it should be clear in our lives that, yes, of course he's their father. Look at their life. They li they're living the life of a son. They're imitating him in their life. They're, they're walking just as he walked in talking about Christ. So holiness should be a part of our lives. But how else can we imitate our father? What else does the Bible lay out as ways, if you are children of God, that you will imitate your father? What specific imitations? The next one is, we will walk in love. Uh, Ephesians 5 tells us this. Again, we stopped at verse 1 because we we're going to get to verse 2. Uh, Ephesians 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So if you are God's children, you'll be imitators of him. Just as the child was, just as the son was an imitator of the father and walked in love, perfectly imitating the father in the same way, if we're going to be imitators of God, what will that look like? We will walk in love. Well, how do we do that? What does it mean to walk in love. Well, the Bible actually describes, because we could, we could go off and talk about all sorts of ways that we love and where love is and what it looks like. But again, the Bible is so kind because it gives, gives us examples of types of love that are required of God's children, specifically types of love that if you are God's child, this is the type of love you will have. To, to go back to Ephesians 5, the type of love that you will walk in. So if we are to walk in love as God's children, here's the type of love that God is talking about. The first type of love will seem fairly obvious, but it's important, uh, is if you are a true child of God, you will walk in love, and that means you will love Jesus. You will love Jesus. Now, that seems fairly obvious. It's not up to me. God's the one who put it in his word and says, my children will love him. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, if, you were, uh, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Again, this may seem obvious, but again, we're going through all the examples in Scripture. I couldn't just take it out and go, well, that seems too obvious, God. I won't mention that one. If we're truly God's children, then we will love Christ. We will love him. Why? 
because he came from God. He came from your father. God sent him. He came not on his own accord. Jesus didn't just come. The father sent him. We will love Christ. A true, if, if God is your father, you will love Jesus. And when I say that, I mean more than just, yeah, I'm sure Jesus is a great guy. I mean, your thoughts, your life will be transfixed by Christ. Not only that, a child of God will love God's other children. So a child of God will love Christ, but a child of God will also love God's other children. We said this last week, the, the, the very words, our father, are assuming that we're not the only children. It's assuming that someone else is also a child. Uh, and that our minds and our hearts, our prayers should, should be on those people. Well, here we see that that, that other-mindedness is actually a natural fruit of those who are truly God's children. Because God's children will love God's other children. We see this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So we love Jesus, we believe in him, right? So we love Jesus from John 8, 42. We believe in Christ, 1 John 5, 1. We've been born of God. We love the Father. If all of those things are true, what will also be true? We will love everyone who has been born of him. So a Christian will naturally imitate the Father by loving not just Christ, but by loving everyone who is in their family, everyone who also has been born of God. Again, this is, this is why the idea of like solo Christianity or I've got my relationship between me and God. I mean, the Bible says if you truly believe in Christ, if you've truly been born of God, not you must do this, but you will do this. It's a natural outcome. It's a natural outcome of a changed heart, not to be just selfish, even in your relationship with God, but to be thinking about others to, to where it's not like, oh, do I have to pray our father? Really? Can I just pray my father? I mean, I'm, they're, they're, I mean, they're going to get their stuff taken care of too but to have a genuine love for other believers. So if we're to walk in love, what type of love specifically is the love that a child of God will have? If you are born of God, you will love Jesus. If you are born of God, believe in Christ. If God is truly your father, you will love whoever has been born of him, meaning other believers, Again, if you if you are someone who has an easy time loving yourself and a hard time loving others, that is a sign that you are either not a true child or not a healthy one. And let this verse be something that drives you. Hey, I, I tend to only think about myself. I need to think about others. And the good thing is, if 
if the spirit is the one causing you to think those things, that's how everything works. This word, these words are here. To, if you're a true child, this will convict you and the spirit will be making that love for others as it's intended to be. But not only will, will a child of God love the son of their father, not only will a child of God love the other children of their father, a child of God will love their enemies. This is the weird one, right? This is the one that is really shocking. It's meant to be shocking. But we see it, and we see it in this weird part. He actually talks about this in the previous chapter of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And so this is actually the first time he mentions our father who is in heaven is right back here. And then it's just a couple verses later at the start of chapter six that he's going to say our father who is in heaven. So this is how you be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So how are we sons of the father? He says by loving our enemies and then getting into what and praying for those who persecute us. That that is specifically a way that we imitate our father by walking in love. It's an, it's an unexpected way. And Jesus admits that. It's not a normal way. He says, look, look you, you've heard that it was said, love your, enemy, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's how you show you are sons of your father. And Luke fleshes this out even more in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 through 36. It says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. So here again, Luke ties it to imitating our father. You'll be a son of the Most High for he is kind. Here's that imitation. Why are we doing this? Not just because God commands it, that would be enough, but because this is what God does. As it said in Matthew, he sends rain on the just and the unjust, as it says here, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. So if, if we want to be sons of the most high, then we must love our Enemies, which Luke clarifies means being kind to those even who are ungrateful and evil. We are to show mercy. Why? Because our Father is merciful. And here's that, that same language that we saw in 1 Peter. Be holy as I am holy, but now it is be merciful as your Father is merciful. And so when we say the words, our father, we see that we are, again, we are, we are making a pledge. We are making a proclamation, not just we are saying you are my God, you are my father. And that means certain things. If he is your father, you will listen to him. And if he is your father, then you will imitate him. If you will not listen to him and you will not imitate him, then do not call him father. Because if God is your father, those are exactly the things that you will do. Because that's what every child does to their father. And if you're not listening to him and you're not imitating him, 
that leaves only one father left that you might be following. So when we say our father, we're, we're speaking words of promise that God will treat us like his children, that we are his children. And that means not just for our today, but what his promise holds for our tomorrow. He's not just our God, he's our father. And, and we're not just his sons, we're his heirs. An inheritance awaits us. And so no matter what you're going through, sometimes you can just say our father and that can remind you that no matter why you feel like praying, no matter why you, you feel like you have to ask for whatever's going on and you want this addressed or that addressed, you can remember that you may be praying about this moment right now, but whatever you're going through is not touching what's coming. An inheritance awaits you as a child because your father has promised it. He has, he's the one who reminds you of it. We're not, we're, not, we're not digging this up in the back of some, sort of, uh, of, of some sort of will here. God is the one who reminds us over and over, if you're sons, then you're heirs. Remember that. And as you think about what the first century church is about to go through, you can, you can guess of how important it is for them in every one of those moments to be able to pray, our Father. But our Father is also a pledge. Because again, God isn't just giving us His name, we're taking it up. We're calling Him Father. And if we're truly God's children, then, then when we say our Father, we are pledging to live like God's children, to listen to what He says, to throw off our old life and, and, and imitate instead Him. And if we're not willing to do those things, then our father is nothing more than empty words. Our father has, has to mean something. It means something from him. The other question is, does it mean anything from you? And if it does, then your life will show it. Let's pray. I said that for the next few weeks, the application we're going to have uh, in terms of our prayer wrapped around our Father is confidence and reverence. Confidence and reverence. And this week, that, that same is true. You can see that in these words. Are the, what is the confidence? The confidence, when you say our Father, there's the confidence of remembering the promise tied to those words. So right now, just praise, just, just praise God for the confidence that those words can give you. Thank God for the promise attached to them for the inheritance that's awaiting you, that, that you may be going through a, a, a great time in your life right now, but it's nothing compared to what awaits. You might be going through a hard time right now, but know that what you're going through is not touching what God has waiting for you and for all of his children. An inheritance awaits you. So take heart. Every time you say our father, be reminded of all of his promises tied to those words. Our Father. But it's also, a, those are also words of reverence. I mean, think, and are, you, are you living the pledge that those words invoke? When you say, Father, is it, is it nothing more than a word to you? Or do you realize that when you say that, you're making a promise on your part as well? I mean, are you treating God like a father? 
Are you, are you stopping your ears to the, to the word of Christ, just like Christ's opponents stopped their words to his ears? Are you no different from them? How much do you look like your father? If, 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 if people said like father, like son about your life, what father would they be talking about? If they could look at the way you live, if they, could, if they could have a view on all of your actions and your thoughts, and they said, and they would be able to say, like father, like son, what father would they assume was yours? Is your life defined by holiness and love just like the heavenly father's is? If, if obedience is, is the world's paternity test, who is your father? When, you're, when your mouth says, our father, does your life back it up? And the good thing is, the expectation from scripture is that you'll say, Yes, it does. By the grace of Christ, yes, it does. Yes, it does. This isn't something that makes to make us all look and say, I have absolutely no holiness. I have no love for anybody. I'm horrible. I'm wretched. The assumption is, if you're his child, you'll go, yes. And don't be ashamed of that yes, because that yes isn't about you. The yes is about Christ, and that's the reverence. What we sometimes do is think the reverence is saying, oh, there's no holiness. Oh, there's no love. That's not what the Bible's trying to teach you. The Bible's trying to teach you to say, yes, there is. Where did that come from? How in the world did that get there? Because I know where I used to be in John chapter 8, and now I see where I am. How? The answer, and here's the reverence, is Christ. If you see no holiness if you, or if you see a lacking of holiness, if you see a, if you see a disobedience, you see a, if, you, if you say, I wish I imitated him more, then let the Spirit drive you to those things, drive you to, to live in, in fear of him so that you might imitate him. But if you see holiness, you see righteousness, and you see love, love toward Christ, love toward others, love toward even your enemies, then you rejoice but not in yourself. You boast, but not in you. You boast in the son who made you a son. It's all of grace and it is all of Christ that we're able to say our father and look like him when we do. Father, we come to you in the name and work of Jesus Christ. Because we would not look anything like you. We would, we would not even want to call you Father if it weren't for Christ. We would certainly not look like you. We would not be listening to you. We'd be listening to our other Father. But in Christ, we who were far off have been brought near. We who were enemies have been made sons and not just sons, but heirs, heirs of a promise. And Father, we, we can see this not just in what awaits us, but we can see it in our today as we imitate you. As we listen to your words, instead of, instead of not wanting to hear from you, we want to hear from you. We want to hear and do 
And Father, we, 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 we imitate you in our holiness. We imitate you as we walk in love. All because of what Christ has done for us. All because when you changed us, you really changed our dead hearts and you made them alive. And you are the one who causes us to walk in your commandments and be careful to obey your statutes. You're the one who has done those things in us. So even when we see you in our actions, the thing we chiefly celebrate is you because you are the one who has changed our actions. You are the one who has sent your spirit to cause us to do these things. And so in reverence, we say, our Father. And we rejoice that we look like a son because of the work of the son in our hearts. It is in Christ's name that we rejoice and celebrate and pray and wait for an inheritance to come. Amen. inheritance from our Father awaits. And so take heart and keep your eyes open, keep your eyes up, persevere in confidence in God's promise and hold fast to your pledge. Let's sing hymn 333, leaning on the everlasting arms. Enjoy restful work in the arms and the strong right hand of the Lord, our God, who is our Father and who has secured an inheritance for us and called us to be his sons, done this work in Christ. Let's praise him, bless his name as we give thanks and delight ourselves thinking of these everlasting arms of the Lord our God. Let's sing 333. <clears throat> what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, on the everlasting arms. And what have
have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Our Father, we are grateful and we give you praise for your promise and for for the eyes that you've given us to see and the hearts that desire uh, to respond with with pledge. Uh, your promise is great and magnificent and and wonderful that that you would call us to be your sons and that you have decided to conform us and to shape us, to make us reflect the image of the Son, of Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we depart uh, from each other's company, that, that you may grow our spirits in unity, that you may continue that work, that this week we will be much in earnest prayer to you, our Father, for one another, and for our desire to see your kingdom come. We give you thanks, and we ask your blessing on this week to come, and that these words that we've heard will grow, and they will shape us and fashion us after Christ's likeness. We pray these things in his name. Amen.